0: Chapter 11 of The Hour of the Dragon by Robert E. Howard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11 Swords of the South Dawn that rose over the distant hills shone on the sails of a small craft that dropped down the river which curves to within a mile of the walls of Tarantia, and loops southward like a great shining serpent. The boat differed from the ordinary craft plying the broad Kohoritas, fishermen and merchant barges loaded with rich goods. It was long and slender, with a high curving prow, and was black as ebony, with white skulls painted along the gunnels. Amidship rose a small cabin, the windows closely masked. Other craft gave the ominously painted boat a wide berth for it was obviously one of those pilgrim-boats that carry a lifeless follower of Asura on his last mysterious pilgrimage southward to where, far beyond the Pointanian Mountains, a river flowed at last into the blue ocean. In that cabin undoubtedly lay the corpse of the departed worshipper. All men were familiar with the sight of those gloomy craft, and the most fanatical votary of Mithra would not dare touch or interfere with their somber voyages. Where the ultimate destination lay men did not know. Some said Stygia, some a nameless island lying beyond the horizon, others said it was in the glamorous and mysterious land of Vinya, where the dead came home at last. But none knew, certainly. They only knew that when a follower of Asura died— The corpse went southward down the great river in a black boat, rowed by a giant slave, and neither boat nor corpse nor slave was ever seen again, unless, indeed, certain dark tales were true, and it was always the same slave who rowed the boats southward. The man who propelled this particular boat was as huge and brown as the others, though close scrutiny might have revealed the fact that the hue was the result of carefully applied pigments. He was clad in leather loincloth and sandals, and he handled the long sweep and oars with unusual skill and power. But none approached the grim boat closely, for it was well known that the followers of Asura were accursed, and that these pilgrim boats were loaded with dark magic." So men swung their boats wide and muttered an incantation as the dark craft slid past, and they never dreamed that they were thus assisting in the flight of their king and the countess Albiona. It was a strange journey in that black, slim craft down the great river for nearly two hundred miles to where the Cahoritas swings eastward, skirting the Poitanian Mountains. Like a dream the ever-changing panorama glided past, During the day Albiona lay patiently in the little cabin, as quietly as the corpse she pretended to be. Only late at night, after the pleasure-boats with their fair occupants lounging on silken cushions in the flare of torches held by slaves had left the river, before dawn brought the hurrying fisher-boats, did the girl venture out. Then she held the long sweep cunningly bound in place by ropes to aid her, while Conan snatched a few hours of sleep. But the king needed little rest. The fire of his desires drove him relentlessly, and his powerful frame was equal to the grinding test. Without halt or pause they drove southward. So down the river they fled, through nights when the flowing current mirrored the million stars, and through days of golden sunlight, leaving winter behind them as they sped southward. They passed cities in the night, above which throbbed and pulsed the reflection of the myriad lights, lordly river villas, and fertile groves. So at last the blue mountains of Poitain rose above them, tier above tier like ramparts of the gods, and the great river, swerving from those torrented cliffs, swept thunderously through the marching hills with many a rapid and foaming cataract. Conan scanned the shoreline closely and finally swung the long sweep and headed inshore at a point where a neck of land jutted into the water and fir trees grew in a curiously symmetrical ring about a gray, strangely shaped rock. How these boats ride those falls we hear roaring ahead of us is more than I can see, he grunted. Hadrathus said they did, but here's where we halt. HE SAID A MAN WOULD BE WAITING FOR US WITH HORSES, BUT I DON'T SEE ANYONE. HOW WORD OF OUR COMING COULD HAVE PRECEDED US, I DON'T KNOW ANYWAY. HE DROVE INSHORE AND BOUND THE PROW TO AN ARCHING ROOT IN THE LOW BANK, AND THEN, PLUNGING INTO THE WATER, WASHED THE BROWN PAINT FROM HIS SKIN AND EMERGED DRIPPING AND IN HIS NATURAL color. From the cabin he brought forth a suit of Aquilonian ring-mail, which Hadrathus had procured for him, and his sword. These he donned, while Albiona put on garments suitable for mountain travel. And when Conan was fully armed and turned to look toward the shore, he started, and his hand went to his sword. For on the shore, under the trees, stood a black-cloaked figure holding the reins of a white palfrey and a bay warhorse. "'Who are you?' demanded the king. The other bowed low. "'A follower of Asura. A command came. I obeyed.' "'How came?' inquired Conan, but the other merely bowed again. "'I have come to guide you through the mountains to the first Poitanian stronghold.' "'I don't need a guide,' answered Conan. "'I know these hills well.' I thank you for the horses, but the countess and I will attract less attention alone than if we were accompanied by an acolyte of Asura." The man bowed profoundly, and, giving the reins into Conan's hands, stepped into the boat. Casting off, he floated down the swift current toward the distant roar of the unseen rapids. With a baffled shake of his head, Conan lifted the countess into the palfrey's saddle, And then mounted the war horse and reined toward the summits that castellated the sky. The rolling country at the foot of the towering mountains was now a borderland in a state of turmoil, where the barons reverted to feudal practices and bands of outlaws roamed unhindered. Poitain had not formally declared her separation from Aquilonia, but she was now, to all intents, a self-contained kingdom ruled by her hereditary count Trocero. The rolling south country had submitted nominally to Valerius, but he had not attempted to force the passes guarded by strongholds where the crimson leopard banner of Poitain waved defiantly. The king and his fair companion rode up the long blue slopes in the soft evening. As they mounted higher, the rolling country spread out like a vast purple mantle far beneath them, shot with the shine of rivers and lakes, the yellow glint of broad fields, and the white gleam of distant towers. Ahead of them, and far above, they glimpsed the first of the Poitainian holes, a strong fortress dominating a narrow pass, the crimson banner streaming against the clear blue sky. Before they reached it, a band of knights in burnished armor rode from among the trees, and their leader sternly ordered the travelers to halt. They were tall men, with dark eyes and raven locks of the south. Halt, sir, and state your business and why you ride toward Poitain. Is Poitain in revolt, then? asked Conan, watching the other closely. That a man in Aquilonian harness is halted and questioned like a foreigner? "'Many rogues ride out of Aquilonia these days,' answered the other coldly. "'As for revolt, if you mean the repudiation of a usurper, then Poitain is in revolt. "'We had rather serve the memory of a dead man than the scepter of a living dog.' "'Conan swept off his helmet, and, shaking back his black mane, stared full at the speaker.' The Partanians stared violently and went livid. "'Saints of heaven!' he gasped. "'It's—it is the king—alive!' The other stared wildly. Then a roar of wonder and joy burst from them. They swarmed about Conan, shouting their war-cries and brandishing their swords in their extreme emotion. The acclaim of Poitainian warriors was a thing to terrify a timid man. Oh, but Trocerol will weep tears of joy to see you, sire, cried one. Aye, and Prospero, shouted another. The general has been like one wrapped in a mantle of melancholy, and curses himself night and day that he did not reach the Valkia in time to die beside his king. Now we strike for Empri, yelled another, whirling his great sword about his head. "'Hail Conan, King of Poitain!' The clangor of bright steel about him and the thunder of their acclaim frightened the birds that rose in gay-hued clouds from the surrounding trees. The hot southern blood was afire, and they desired nothing but for their new-found sovereign to lead them to battle and pillage. "'What is your command, sire?' they cried. "'Let one of us ride ahead and bear the news of your coming into Poitain.' "'Banners will wave from every tower, "'roses will carpet the road before your horse's feet, "'and all the beauty and chivalry of the South "'will give you the honor due you—' "'Conan shook his head. "'Who could doubt your loyalty? "'But winds blow over these mountains "'into countries of my enemies, "'and I would rather these didn't know that I lived, yet. "'Take me to Tresaro and keep my identity a secret.' So what the knights would have made a triumphal procession was more in the nature of a secret flight. They traveled in haste, speaking to no one except for a whisper to the captain on duty at each pass, and Conan rode among them with his visor lowered. The mountains were uninhabited save by outlaws and garrisons of soldiers who guarded the passes. The pleasure-loving Poitanians had no need nor desire to wrest a hard and scanty living from their stern breasts. South of the ranges, the rich and beautiful plains of Poitain stretched to the river Alamein, but beyond the river lay the land of Zingara. Even now, when winter was crisping the leaves beyond the mountains, the tall rich grass waved upon the plains, where grazed the horses and cattle for which Poitain was famed. Palm trees and orange groves smiled in the sun, and the gorgeous purple and gold and crimson towers of castles and cities reflected the golden light. It was a land of warmth and plenty, of beautiful men and ferocious warriors. It is not only the hard lands that breed hard men. Poitain was surrounded by covetous neighbors, and her sons learned hardihood in incessant wars— To the north the land was guarded by the mountains, but to the south only the Alamein separated the plains of Poitain from the plains of Zingara, and not once but a thousand times had that river run red. To the east lay Argos, and beyond that Ophir, proud kingdoms and avaricious. The knights of Poitain held their lands by the weight and edge of their swords, and little of ease and idleness they knew. So Conan came presently to the castle of Count Trocero. Conan sat on a silken divan in a rich chamber, whose filmy curtains the warm breeze billowed. Trocero paced the floor like a panther, a lithe, restless man with the waist of a woman and the shoulders of a swordsman who carried his years lightly. "'Let us proclaim you King of Poitain,' urged the Count." Let those northern pigs wear the yoke to which they have bent their necks. The south is still yours. Dwell here and rule us amid the flowers and the palms. But Conan shook his head. There is no nobler land on earth than Poitain, but it cannot stand alone, bold as are its sons. It did stand alone for generations, retorted Trocero, with the quick jealous pride of his breed. We were not always a part of Aquilonia. I know. But conditions are not as they were then, when all kingdoms were broken into principalities which warred with each other. The days of dukedoms and free cities are past. The days of empires are upon us. Rulers are dreaming imperial dreams, and only in unity is their strength." Then let us unite Zingara with Poitain, argued Trocero. Half a dozen princes strive against each other, and the country is torn asunder by civil wars. We will conquer it province by province, and add it to your dominions. Then, with the aid of the Zingarans, we will conquer Argos and Ophir. We will build an empire. Again Conan shook his head. Let others dream imperial dreams. I but wish to hold what is mine. I have no desire to rule an empire welded together by blood and fire. It's one thing to seize a throne with the aid of its subjects and rule them with their consent. It's another to subjugate a foreign realm and rule it by fear. I don't wish to be another Valerius. No, Tricero, I'll rule all Aquilonia and no more, or I'll rule nothing.' Then lead us over the mountains and we will smite the Nemedians. Conan's fierce eyes glowed with appreciation. No, Tricero, it would be a vain sacrifice. I've told you what I must do to regain my kingdom. I must find the heart of Aramon. But this is madness, protested Tricero. "'the maunderings of a heretical priest, "'the mumblings of a mad witch-woman. "'You were not in my tent before, Valkia,' "'answered Conan grimly, "'involuntarily glancing at his right wrist, "'on which blue marks still glowed faintly. "'You didn't see the cliffs thunder down "'to crush the flower of my army. "'No, Trocero. I've been convinced. "'Saltotun's no mortal man,' "'and only with the heart of Ahriman can I stand against him. "'So I'm riding to Cordava alone.' "'But that is dangerous,' protested Trocero. "'Life is dangerous,' rumbled the king. "'I won't go as king of Aquilonia or even as a knight of Poitain, "'but as a wandering mercenary as I rode in Zingara in the old days.' "'Oh, I have enemies enough south of the Alamein in the lands and the waters of the south. Many who won't know me as king of Aquilonia will remember me as Conan of the Barracan Pirates, or Amra of the Black Corsairs. But I have friends, too, and men who'll aid me for their own private reasons.' A faintly reminiscent grin touched his lips. Dracero dropped his hands helplessly and glanced at Albiona, who sat on a nearby divan. "'I understand your doubts, my lord,' said she. "'But I, too, saw the coin in the temple of Asura. And look, you, Hydrathus said it was dated five hundred years before the fall of Acheron. If Xaltotun, then, is the man pictured on the coin, as his majesty swears he is,' That means he is no common wizard, even in his other life, for the years of his life were numbered by centuries, not as the lives of other men are numbered. Before Trocero could reply, a respectful rap was heard on the door, and a voice called, My lord, we have caught a man skulking about the castle who says he wishes to speak with your guest. I await your orders. A spy from Aquilonia hissed Trocero, catching at his dagger, but Conan lifted his voice and called, Open the door and let me see him. The door was opened, and a man was framed in it, grasped on either hand by stern-looking men-at-arms. He was a slender man, clad in a dark-hooded robe. Are you a follower of Asura? asked Conan. The man nodded, and the stalwart men-at-arms looked shocked, and glanced hesitantly at Trocero. "'The word came southward,' said the man. "'Beyond the Alamein we cannot aid you, for our sect goes no further southward, but stretches eastward with the Korotas. But this I have learned. The thief who took the heart of Araman from Tarascus never reached Cordava. In the mountains of Poitain he was slain by robbers.' The jewel fell into the hands of their chief, who, not knowing its true nature and being harried after the destruction of his band by Poitanian knights, sold it to the Cothic merchant Zorathus. Ha! Conan was on his feet, galvanized. And what of Zorathus? Four days ago he crossed the Alamein headed for Argos with a small band of armed servants. He's a fool to cross Zingara in such times, said Trocero. Ay, times are troublous across the river, but Zarathus is a bold man and reckless in his way. He is in great haste to reach Messantia, where he hopes to find a buyer for the jewel. Perhaps he hopes to sell it finally in Stygia. Perhaps he guesses at its true nature. At any rate... "'Instead of following the long road that winds across the borders of Poitain, "'and so at last comes into Argos, far from Mesantia, "'he has struck straight across the eastern Zingara, "'following the shorter and more direct route. "'Conan smote the table with his clenched fist, "'so that the great board quivered. "'Then, by Crom, fortune has at last thrown the dice for me, "'a horse-dress and the harness of a free companion.' Sarathas has a long start, but not too long for me to overtake him if I follow him to the end of the world. End of chapter 11